Hello, and welcome to The Permanent Podcast, a podcast that is all Craig, all movies, all the time. And welcome to the final part of our MCU review before, you know, we're caught up on movies. By the time this, well, hold on. By the time this episode comes out, Black Widow will be out, so technically we'll be behind again, but that's a that's a problem for later. That's a, whatever. So, this is we're going to be wrapping up MCU Phase 3 this episode, and we're going to be starting with Avengers End. Nope. We're going to be starting with Avengers Infinity War. And just like with all my other parts, this is your official spoiler warning for not just the movies we talk about, but the structure of the MCU in general. Um, although that's kind of not relevant because, like I said, we're going to be pretty much caught up. Now, here we start with Avengers Infinity War. This movie rules. All right. This movie rules in so many different ways. First of all, it's a good action movie. Just in general, good action movie. This movie also just blends everything together so incredibly well. Like, the note that I took the most consistently throughout this movie is that everybody got a lot, got like, got what felt like appropriate screen time. I never really felt like anyone was left behind so that way we could focus on one person's story. With a slight caveat. I understand that that means that... This makes it uh, quite possibly the worst point to jump in in the MCU, but in as far as like emotional, like I listen, I've said this before. I'm a sucker for finales and setups for finales, and and that this was so good. This was so good. I think everybody's characters were like super on point. I. I just think it's really good. And the movie starts off really strong. Uh, Thanos had a very strong introduction. This character that we've kind of only known about in reference. You know, we've seen Thanos like once or twice during an after credit scene. But for the most part, we've never seen Thanos in action. And the first thing that we see him do is wipe out the last of the Asgardians, pretty much. And it's menacing, to say the least. And Heimdall's death, I thought, was very impactful. I think that kind of, like, it was very good at getting the ball rolling. And Loki gets probably his best character moment since his introduction. And because this character moment is so great, his death is just, like, it's not only sad, but it's terrifying. I think Loki's death is what cements Thanos as a threat, right? So we know that he killed half the Asgardians. We know that he's a force to be reckoned with. But just the way he kills Loki is, it's terrifying. It's like, oh, we are going to need all hands on deck for this one. And immediately after that, we get another scene of like really strong acting, the scene where they're at the sanctum or sanctuary, whatever they're called, whatever it's called with Bruce and Steven and Tony. And they're trying to explain to Tony, like how, how much is at stake? And I don't know why I just, I really like the acting in that scene. I think Mark Ruffalo does a very good job of just 
at least in the first half of this movie that he's in, like the pure like distress that he's in of just like, guys, we need to like, I don't think you understand how deep in it we are right now or how deep we are about to be. So I just think that there's really good acting in that scene. And then we get like a really good, I, I the introduction action sequence, you know, the first action sequence we really get in this movie with the children of Thanos fighting Iron Man and Wong and Steven uh, in New York. This is a very good action sequence. I think Nanobot Iron Man is my favorite Iron Man. I think it's just like the perfect showcase of how like you know iron man suits progress with tony and the fact that we have the best iron man suit now means that we for the most part have the best tony and i like that the iron man suit can kind of just do whatever at this point some people might just be like oh it's too powerful it's too op they just like the writers just have it do whatever they want i don't care it's cool it's cool i like it a lot um, after that, we th- is where we get introduced uh, to the whole Thor and Guardians dynamic. Overall, I think that Thor is a really good addition to the Guardians of the Galaxy chemistry, right? However, however, big caveat. Um, I do not like this, like, pissing contest that peter and thor have the entire time and how peter is like always trying to prove his masculinity over thor it's a dumb bit it's like i think that that's just a crux of guardians of the galaxy in general is when you do so many bits like when you have so many pieces of comedy in a movie one of the running jokes is not gonna stick that's just that's just how it works and unfortunately, the one running joke they tried to do in this movie was stupid and dumb, and I didn't like it. But like I said, overall, very good. Like, they have really good chemistry. Now that Thor has kind of been, like, officially rewritten as a comedic character, it, it just, they fit so well together, it, it makes sense. I can't imagine them doing anything else at this point. Um, also... Uh, again, the the fight scene in Glasgow, really cool fight scene. Wish I could see it. Stop making dark fight scenes. I know that sometimes it's used as a as like a camera trick, so that way they can make their CGI characters not look as good, and we won't notice because the screen is dark. However, I think I would rather look at a not as good CGI character than not be able to see the fight sequence. Like, I think there's just a lot of cool things that, like, would have been cooler if they were just a little bit brighter. And maybe, maybe they just had it at night because they felt like that was appropriate. And, you know, having Captain America arrive, arrive by night was cooler. Sure, whatever. But, like, I don't know. It's just a personal preference. But I do want to say that Captain America's entrance... This movie does entrances very, very well. Because this entrance has... Uh, Cap- Captain America, when he enters, has his theme song playing behind him, and it's very dramatic and cool, and it makes that moment memorable. And I think this movie just does memorable mo- memorable moments incredibly well, and that's just one of them that stuck out for me. In terms of Thanos, he is obviously, I think, 
the best villain in the MCU, right? <laughs> I mean, he's kind of the most, he's definitely the most important, but I would also th- say that he is the best. And I think that the scene that really like kind of locks him in is like, oh, this character has depth to him is there's a flashback sequence where he's on Gamora's planet. It's when he takes Gamora in as a daughter and it's when he's, uh, you know, killing half the population of her planet. And there's just a moment where he's showing her the knife, the balancing of the knife. And as they start to kill her people, Gamora turns to look at them and he just like gently guides her face back towards the knife. And I'm like, this, this is a, this is an oddly touching moment. Like, obviously it doesn't humanize him. It doesn't make him a better person, but it's just like a weird, it's, it's, it's a conflicting moment. And I think that it's, it seems like that, that give him, it's that scene that makes giving Gamora up that much more hurtful. And I think that uh, while we're talking about it, the reason why Gamora's death is so impactful is they telegraph it to us. So we know to emotionally prepare for it before Gamora can. So they, they, we all know, Hey, Thanos needs to sacrifice something that she, that Thanos loves. And that only thing is Gamora. And we know that before Gamora does. And just watching her come to that realization is, it's heartbreaking. And I don't think that Thanos being sad about it made me feel anything because I've lost, you lose sympathy for the guy almost immediately. When you meet him, you're like, I don't care if this guy is sad ever. And so his sadness didn't affect me, but watching Gamora basically like have to accept the fact that practically her father just doesn't cares about his mission more than her. It's that's the heartbreaking part of it. Now, like I said, this movie does a very good job of balancing characters. You don't spend too much time away from a character. And like I said, there is a caveat to that. And that caveat is I feel like Tony, Steven and Peter kind of didn't do too much until they fought Thanos. Right. (laughs) So they're on the ship. Granted, they did a lot in the beginning, right? They did the main New York fight sequence at the beginning. But then after that, it's ship, Titan, fight Thanos. And I kind of wish there was a little bit more of that just because it kind of felt like the crux of the mission was relying on them. And to have them kind of not be part of the mission or at least have them be separated from the rest of the mission felt like a disservice. I feel like there could have been a little bit more. Like, even the characters that also separated themselves, I think, like, Thor and Rocket, like, they had a very clear mission and a very clear goal, and you're like, okay, we know that when they do their thing, they're coming back. Not so much the case with them. They they were sitting, and they were kind of waiting for Thanos to come to them. But they do have what I think is the best fight sequence in the movie. I think that fighting Thanos on Titan is just, it's just fantastic action. I I love it. I love their blend. I love how like they f- how their fighting was blended together. And 
I think specifically Spider-Man shined in this fight sequence uh, between wrapping up Thanos and catching all his teammates that get thrown by Thanos. I He really shined. Uh, Doctor Strange, I think, shined as well. Like, literally everybody does a really good job in this fight sequence, which is what makes it so irritating when, when Quill screws it all up. And I know that everybody gets mad at him about it, so I don't want to go on about it. I'm just saying it's so frustrating. It's a, it is an incredibly frustrating part of the movie. But the fight sequence on Wakanda is fantastic as well. Um, sometimes you get a little bit lost in the noise. There's a lot happening at once, so it's kind of hard to focus on any one thing. But it is incredibly good. And I think that just like... The Wakandans, like, opening up the barrier for them is such, like, a big show into what their character is, into, like, what their morals are, and I like that a lot. I think that the fact that the fact that all of Wakanda was, like, putting their country on the line to literally just help Vision, right? That's the whole point of them being at Wakanda is just so Vision doesn't die. And the fact that they put up such huge defenses for it, like... I, I I think that it's a it's it, it adds a lot to the characters of the Wakandans. So to, so towards the end of the movie, we all know Thanos uses the time stone to re like Thanos using the time stone is one of the most betraying parts of any movie ever. Like I just remember watching that in theaters and just being like but we were so close. We won. Technically we won. We would have gotten him. And just like, it felt like losing on a technicality. And I think that that's kind of the point is like, these guys gave it their all. They sacrificed everything. They put everything on the line and Thanos just like reverted it. And that what and that's what makes the dust the uh and that's what makes the dusting so much more chilling. Just like watching people silently fall and just be like, "We were so close to not this." I think Peter Parker's uh, death is in is incredibly chilling. That I know that that was another scene that kind of got memed on a lot, but just like in earnest, that that scene is so good. It's so it it I don't know what else to say. Like it's emotional, it's impactful. It's kind of everything that that death scene needed and it and it gave it to us. Um one last note before we wrap this up. I think Elizabeth Olsen is almost too good an actress to be in this movie. Between her reaction to uh blowing up that building in Civil War to like the 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 thing that she did was she did like a just like a really subtle lip quiver when vision is telling her that she doesn't have any more time and she needs to take the stone out of him like she does so much without saying anything she deserves like a she deserves like 10,000 stars for being in this movie or and she adds so much to this movie i she, so hats off to elizabeth olsen this movie is fantastic. I think this is my favorite movie in the franchise. I genuinely do. This movie is so cool. It adds so much. And it there are very few places that I think it lacks. 
I'm giving this movie an eight and a half out of ten. This movie rules. <laughs> like, I understand that, like, the only reason this movie is so good is because it capitalizes on our investment that we've had for the last ten years. So this movie could not exist without the 15 movies or the 20 movies that existed before it. And you know what? That's okay. That's okay. That does not make it any less powerful of a movie. Maybe you need a lot of investment for this movie to be worth it. But with the investment, this movie is worth it. This movie is worth it to the bitter end. So I'm giving this movie an eight and a half out of 10. All right. Moving on to Ant-Man and the Wasp, I think that this movie is like the perfect palate cleanser from Infinity War. I remember liking this movie, but not like necessarily loving it, but re-watching it, I, fa- I found a new love for this movie. Uh, it starts off with so much charm and humor, like... The way Scott entertains Cassie, like, that first scene that Scott has with Cassie in this movie, it's like, it it shows so much love in, like, such a short scene. And it does such an amazing job of, like, hey, this is, like, kind of what's on the line for him. And I also like how uh, his relationship with his ex and her partner has grown to be healthier and they're kind of more committed to each other in like a friendship way and like they care about each other a lot more and i i liked seeing that relationship grow as well this movie is just funny this movie is consistently funny and i found myself like laughing out loud like it's a comedy um I don't know if it's like funnier than Thor Ragnarok or funnier than Guardians of the I I don't think it is. But man, I was laughing just a lot throughout this movie. And because I was laughing so much, I was able to overlook maybe some of the more boring parts, maybe some of the more like maybe some of the parts that didn't make as much sense, but in general, this movie entertained uh in however i do want to say um a lot of this movie's chemistry between hank hope and scott uh is all like hanging on the fact that scott took this scott stole the ant-man suit to be in germany in civil war that's not something that's not clearly expressed until like halfway through the movie. They kind of they make they kind of like make jabs at each other. They kind of belittle Scott a little bit, and there's a lot of tension there. There's a lot of tension there that is like we as an audience have to pick up through context clues for a little bit. And I felt like I wish there was just like an upfront explanation, like hey. You know, here's the deal. Here's why they're mad at you. Because at the beginning, Jimmy Woo says, like, hey, you haven't had contact with Hope or Hank, have you? And he, and Scott's like, nah, I'm kind of the last person they want to be talking to right now. And we're just kind of like, okay, why? Why? But so that was a little frustrating. Like, there's a lot of tension and animosity between the three of them for, like, half the movie. And, like, this feels weird. This doesn't feel quite right. But it's fine. Like, 
like I said, this movie is so funny that I'm willing to overlook things like that. Or things like that don't drag this movie down as much. Again, this movie really excels when it uses size dynamically. I mentioned this in my first review. The like the first Ant-Man and this and this movie as well. Both work when they play with size. And we get our first taste of this when Hope is at uh Walton Goggins' place and you know she's fighting in the kitchen and in the foyer and where we first meet Ghost. Like those fight scenes were super cool because she was using the size dynamically and and that trend happens for the rest of the movie every fight scene they're in they are shrinking and growing like as a tool it is part of their fighting style and it makes each fight sequence more interesting because of it uh going back to bits that i thought were funny <laughs> the <laughs> The bit where Scott is toddler sized in an elementary school and he's just kind of like waddling through the school with a sweatshirt on pure comedy. I don't know if they did that just so they can do a comedy scene, but like like it was very much a fluff scene. They could have cut that scene and nothing would have been taken away, but <laughs> I'm, it was funny. It was funny enough and I'm and I'm glad they kept it. Uh, this movie kind of had a problem with too many antagonists. Like, uh, it kind of felt like Ghost was supposed to be the main villain, but then Walton Goggins was, like, kind of the more threatening one, and Bill Foster was the one that ended up betraying them. But I ended up liking Bill Foster a lot because he, like, stuck to his morals a lot, and I liked how he put his foot down against Ghost and how he wasn't, like, it when ghost went too far you could tell that bill foster genuinely did not want to follow her and so he didn't like i thought that was uh, that's a really cool character and it kind of made his character like he bill foster i don't think doesn't add too much but just like little scenes like that is what made him a cool character uh this movie also does like heartwarming pretty well like there's a scene where janet is speaking through scott and it's like this family reunion through scott and i just i thought that was really funny i thought it was funny but it was also incredibly heartwarming i think paul rudd is a really good actor so watching him like embrace hope with the love of a mother is like this is so weird but i'm here for it and i think that 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 sentence kind of boils down this entire movie is that's weird but i'm here for it and it it seems when it takes a break from the comedy that like it really lets you breathe and feel a completely different emotion and like the like the final credit scene is just it's so devastating because we've been on this like joyous romp this whole time that you kind of forget that Thanos is a problem or is like is going to be a problem. Like we walk, <laughs> we go into this movie, we go into this movie like, oh, great, we're probably going to have to deal with more sad stuff. And then it's not sad for two hours. And then it's very sad very quickly. So. 
This movie does a lot right. The final chase sequence being 40 minutes might be a bit of a problem. But (laughs) that final chase sequence is still fun. Maybe it's a little too one note. Whatever. I think I'm... Dude, this movie was so funny. I was laughing a lot during... I'm giving this movie a seven and a half. This movie rules. (laughs) This movie rules. All right, moving on to Captain Marvel. Now, I've been a fan of Captain Marvel's for a little bit. Like... I don't remember exactly when I got into Captain Mar- I I read Captain Marvel comics before her movie came out and I don't exactly what I don't exactly remember what inspired me to get into the comics but I just remember thinking like Carol's a cool character I want to I want to get into it Oh you know what it probably was <laughs> I was probably reading Sh- the the Sh- Shazam, the new 52 Shazam. And like that got me into the whole like Captain Marvel versus Captain Marvel thing. And so that's probably what got whatever irrelevant, irrelevant. Um, the fact of the matter is I enjoyed I-, I had a lot going into this. This was probably the MCU movie that I had the most expectations for or rather the rather I was the most excited for this one because I'm like. I know Captain Marvel. I want this to be good. Now, that being said, I'm the kind of person that when I want something to be good, I am willing to overlook flaws so it remains good in my brain. Uh, So I know a lot of people don't like this movie, but I do. I like this movie a lot. I like Brie Larson. When I found out that Brie Larson was Captain Marvel, I went and watched Room. Because I'm like, okay, I need to know what this actress is about. And I love her in Room. If you have not seen Room, that movie is so good. So I'm like, all right, well, I love Captain Marvel. Now I love Brie Larson. There's kind of not a lot that can go wrong with this movie. And I, this is a comfort movie for me. I really liked it when it came out. And every time I've watched it since, it just calms me down a little bit. Um, that being said, the movie starts off kind of complicated. Uh, the whole dynamic that she has with the Kree is like this. First of all, this is the most formal that we've known the Kree. They kind of like mention the concept of Kree in passing. Like Guardians of the Galaxy introduces the concept of the Kree, but I feel like doesn't like establish like what Kree are. And so this is our, like, formal, like, hello, this is what a Kree is and does. And we kind of get, we get the Kree introduction and the scroll introduction in, like, ten minutes. And I'm like, alright, bud, kind of losing me here, but, like, let's go for it. But this movie is immediately redeemed, or, like, it, it picks up again when Carol gets captured. And she breaks out of her little con- containment unit, and she's using those, like, hand containers and just beats the crap out of everyone she sees. I love that, like, ship escape scene a lot. It's a really good scene. And I think that her falling into the blockbuster and that little conversation that she has with that security guard kind of sets the tone for her banter, which is dry, incredibly dry, but incredibly funny. And that kind of tone is consistent throughout the entire movie. 
And this is also the scene where we are introduced to a young Sam Jackson, or rather a young Nick Fury and a young Phil Coulson. And it was nice to see Phil Coulson in a movie again. I watched Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. here and there, but it's been seven, it's seven years at this point since we've seen Phil Coulson in a movie. So it was not, it was nice to see him proper again. And I think that the scroll chase scene was super cool. I there I'm going to be describing a lot of this movie as super cool because that's just how I view it is maybe there isn't a lot of depth to this movie. That's fine. I like Carol in this movie and I like the action in this movie. So the scene where she's on the train and she's fighting an old grandma. That's hilarious. I love it. I'm on board. And when she's uh, at that store and that motorcycle guy tells him to smile or tells Carol to smile and lighten up and she just steals his bike. It's listen. Instant gratification. And boy, did he deserve it. And I, I think just like my favorite part about this movie is the dynamic that Carol and Nick Fury have. They, her dry banter with his enthusiastic banter mixes so well for them that I I just love every time they talk together. That scene where they're first flying to Louisiana and they're doing that little scene is just, it's so good. <laughs> it's it's funny and it's charming. Um, <laughs> I'm a little disappointed. They gave up the whole, they did the flurkin thing super early. I think that the flurkin gag is super funny, but I wish we were able to hold out just like a little bit longer on that. It's one of my favorite bits. First of all, I love Carol's cat. Uh, His name is Chewie in the comics because Carol's a big Star Wars fan. And the relationship that Carol and Chewie have is super fantastic. I wish we could have got, like, obviously comics to movie translation you have to sacrifice a few things but i'm glad that i'm glad that the flurkin was still along for the ride integral integral part to captain marvel this movie brings back the tesseract <laughs> hey i kind of thought we were done with the tesseract like i know seven movies ago so um <laughs> seeing that thing again the analogy that i used was it it feels like that that the tesseract gets passed around like a group of teenagers first cigarette <laughs> like captain america had it now the scrolls have it marvel had it then it was inside the flurkin now the then shield had it then loki had it then it got to Asgard, and now Thanos has it. Like, man, we're really just, like, playing hacky sack with this Tesseract, aren't we? In terms... I, I, have, I don't have too many notes for this movie, just because most of my notes say I love this movie so much. But the big gripe that I have, like, the one big gripe about this movie is I don't love how it made the Skrulls, like, ultimate good guys. Right? Like, they are behind a secret invasion. And allegedly, we're supposed to be getting a secret invasion arc at some point. And I don't know 
it, I don't know if we can revilify the scrolls after we've already made them out to be like almost innocent bystanders. So th- that's my big complaint is like, even as someone who does not read a lot of Marvel comics, I know that the scrolls are like borderline irredeemable. So the fact that their introduction was like basically pacifying them, I'm like, no, th- actually, no, thanks. No, thanks, actually. But overall, I just I love this movie and I I love Carol in this movie. She's like the perfect blend of like independent and funny and dry and charming and and she cares so much about Maria and Monica. Like I I love her so much she is my favorite marvel character unless hold on well let's talk about that again after the hawkeye series comes out we'll circle back to that but right now (laughs) having just watched captain marvel my my love for carol danvers meter is breaking breaking its containment hold just like watching her watching her finally get her full power and the and just like watching her glow and fly around and just shoot fate i'm literally i'm at a loss for words just because i love this movie so much um i think dude this is gonna be such a hot take this movie's an an eight and a half out of ten dude (laughs) this is such a comfort movie for me that I don't know how to put into words other than the words I've been putting them into for the last 10 minutes. So if you disagree with me for misogynistic reasons or actual critical reasons, that's fine. I totally understand. This movie is not everyone's cup of tea. I understand that there are glaring problems with them. I choose to ignore them because I love this movie. So eight and a half out of 10. Uh, yeah, I just love this movie a lot. All right. Time for the big one. Avengers Endgame. Now, if you are familiar with me and my, like, media preferences, you will know I am a sucker for finales. Like... If if a thing is really good at just tying up loose ends and giving characters good resolutions, I you got me. It does not take much more than that. But I feel like this movie gives much more than that, sometimes to its benefit and sometimes to its detriment. The main thesis that I walked away with was this movie struggles when it is obligated to be a movie does that sentence make sense probably not so what i mean by that is the first 30 minutes is amazing right we have the avengers licking their wounds from like basically the like first of all the first time they've kind of lost And also, the time that they've lost this big. Like, there could not have been a worse thing to lose, and they lost. And so, like, it does a really good job of setting in the tone 
of dread. Like, even after, even five years later, you know, when maybe the mourning period is over, it's not. The world is still changed. The, the people that have been living for five years have not moved on from this dread. They are still grieving. And I think that that's super cool. I think that that's a really interesting and engaging tone for the beginning of a finale like this. I really liked that intro. But, like, the more I think about it, the less on board I am with, like, the time travel stuff. Like, that's when I felt like it was most, like, all right, we need to make a movie somehow. Because the important parts of this movie, to me, are the beginning and the fight scene at the end. Like, that's the, the, that's the important part. There are some important parts along the way. So I, I, I don't want to discredit that entire thing. But once they start time traveling, it begins to feel like another step in the road. You know what I mean? And that and that time travel sequence does get a lot of criticism for like, oh, it's nothing of substance. It's just a nostalgia jerk. Like they're they're not giving you anything of substance. And like I I I'm starting to agree with that a lot more than I used to. Because first of all, what we like they're not in New York for like there are some cool things that happened in New York, but I also there was a lot that I didn't like in New York. So that the thing that Tony and Paul Rutt Scott do to try to get the Tesseract back, I like that. The fight that Captain had that Captain America had with the other Captain America, that was cool. But I don't know I I don't know how else to put it into words. It just like it never felt like the right tone for this movie, this whole like time, tr- this time heist. But like I said, there were good things from the time heist. I think that Thor reconnecting with his mom was very heartwarming. I, I really enjoyed that scene. I think that if we were to cut everything else from the time heist, like this, this is the scene that I would like to preserve. Um, also, uh, the scene on Volmir or Vormir also like it was that this movie made me cry a lot. Despite the criticisms I'm giving it, I am a very sentimental person. And this movie is the embodiment of sentiment at its best and its worst. So when Cap and not Cap, when Clint and Nat are fighting to sacrifice themselves like it's the culmination of this friendship that we've seen bits and pieces of here and there but it it comes to a head at this moment and it's powerful because of it so that scene was just it's it's so good so the two scenes that i would preserve just like maybe we can move them somewhere else would be Thor with his mom and the Clinton Nat on Vormir. Uh, And like I said, other good stuff, but those are the two that like really stick out. 
And then it, and then the time travel stuff just gets like more confusing than it's worth, which is a really st- I hate giving that criticism to time travel stuff because it feels like I'm just stupid and I don't understand what they're trying to do. But like this whole concept of like Thanos using 2024 Nebula and 2014 Nebula and then them coming through to 2024 and them fighting there them being able to snap and take thanos away but they're still able to preserve their timeline like i get it like on paper i get it i think tilda swinton and mark ruffalo did a fantastic job at explaining that because we're in the reality where we took the reality or the the infinity stones this is the reality we're living in and the reality where the Infinity Stones weren't taken still has all the bad things that happened. But, like, come on. For a for a film franchise that has done, pr- altogether, pretty good at staying out of, like, 70, eight, 70s, 80s comic book, it's a movie type plot holes. Like, I just found it really frustrating. But, enough with that. Because the last hour of this movie is just chef's kiss. All of it. Literally, from when they come back, when they assemble the gauntlet, when Smart Hulk snaps onward, the movie is perfect. Like, I would, honestly, I would rather have watched. I don't care if they did the whole, like, gathering the stones thing in 20 minutes. If it meant that we got two hours of whatever they were doing on that battlefield because I really liked the Avengers coming back. I really liked literally every fight scene. I I think the tossing the gauntlet or like, I don't know what else to call it. Gauntlet football was so good because we got to see a lot of engagement from heroes that don't interact with each other. Like, like, what is Hawkeye doing talking to Black Panther? What? It, why is Black Panther talking to Spider-Man? It's just like, it, see, it's just the culmination of everything that we've been waiting for for 10 years at this point, And it, it pays off all super well. And I, I kind of don't know what else to say other than that. Every heartbreak is meaningful and every reunion is heartwarming there's so much good in this movie there's so much closure there's so much like to enjoy in this movie i hate like dogging on it so much but like when this movie is strong it is strong all the classic highs from this movie still hit like Captain America picking up Mjolnir for the first time still hits. Uh, Pepper in the rescue armor still hits. You know, Tony snapping still hits. This movie is is good. This movie is it's good when it's not trying to deliver something other than closure. When it's trying to deliver something that's not a finale, right? The time travel stuff didn't feel like this is the finale. But I, I think that's kind of what I need to say about it. Um, other small notes. 
I didn't like how th- I I think Thor could have been depressed. I think that Thor could have been depressed. I think that he could have felt guilt without turning him into a trash into a trash bin. You know what I mean? I think obviously stuff like that happens to people and I'm not trying to diminish the reality of something like that. I I feel but I just feel like it was played it was played a little bit more for a joke and I don't know. I wish it could have been done a little bit differently. But aside from that small note, like I said, very good closure. Like so, mm, I'm gonna. I don't know how else to say it. I'm just repeating myself at this point. So, I'm genuinely struggling with what to give this rating because here's the thing: I cried for a lot of this movie. I cried when Scott. Found out that Cassie was still alive. You know, this is in the first 20 minutes of the movie. I cried when Thor was talking to his mom. I cried when Natasha jumped off of Vormir. I cried. The the list goes on and on is what I'm saying. So I think because this movie, there are two ways. Okay, here are the two numbers. This is I'm going to give it a split rating, which might be controversial. As a movie, in and of itself. Seven and a half for what it represents for the last hour of the movie, for what that last, for what that third act accomplishes. That has to be like eight and a quarter. So I think that in terms of, like I said, just a movie, seven and a half, the emotional grip that this movie had on me the entire time, that's the eight and a quarter. So. I think that's that's the only way that I can walk away from this feeling like good about it. Now, you might think, oh, he talked about Endgame. We're done, right? No, not quite. Uh, We still need to talk about Spider-Man Far From Home. All right. Here we are. The final movie in our Marvel Cinematic Universe rewatch. Spider-Man Far From Home. This movie is an incredibly strong movie to end this marathon on. It's it's just an incredibly strong movie. If you recall, my Homecoming review said that um, there was a lot to be desired. This movie left a lot to be desired. Um, Far From Home fixes most of that. Uh, MJ is a much more fleshed out character. Ned is less annoying and more like along for the ride. Ned felt like a real bro the entire time. Even Betty, who was like the most C-list character in that movie. Like she was good. She, She, I felt like she added to it. And so towards the end of the movie, when she kind of got like roped in with Ned and MJ, I'm like, yeah, I'm I'm OK with this. Um, So Homecoming was about Peter's insecurities in proving himself to Tony. And now. While still kind of not feeling like he's proved himself, he now has to kind of fill in Tony's shoes and. I think that that emotional arc is just done super well. 
I don't know what it is. I know what it is about Spider-Man. Spider-Man movies are probably the most likely to get me super emotional. I just, I really appreciate the kind of superhero that messes up, that has doubts about himself, that is worried about failing. Those are the characters that I really attach myself to. And seeing that expressed so well in this movie made it so easy to attach myself to Peter Parker, made it so easy for me to be on his side and want everything, want the best, want what he wants, I think. Because when he just wants to be on a summer vacation, I get it. You know, there's a little bit that's like, hey, man, you're a superhero. Yeah, this That's kind of part of the job. But then there's another part of me that's like everyone else that's signed up for the job with the exception of the Maximoffs, like they're adults. They had a choice. And Peter kind of made this choice before all the stake. He made this choice before he went to space. He made this choice before aliens invaded and killed half the planet. And that's like I it's it's just done so poignantly. I I really feel for Peter for the entirety of this movie. So when we get to the part where Peter realizes what he has to do and is ready to set his plan in motion and he's talking to Happy, the convert dude, the conversation that he had with Happy in the jet, like that messed with me in like a good way. The part where he, like Happy goes on this like little monologue where he's like, "Listen, even Tony couldn't live up to Tony," and Happy explaining that Tony second guessed everything in his life, like literally everything in his life, and the only thing he didn't second guess was was Peter being Spider Man, and. And then Peter immediately going to that suit table and just starting crafting his suit and using the hollow table and happy looking at him and realizing like, yeah, he's he he's the one he's the like he he's not going to be the next Iron Man, but like he's Spider-Man and just I uh, it gives me chills. It it's. Such a powerful moment. And I remember seeing that in the theaters and getting chills then. And I got chills again this time. It, uh, just other things. Jake Gyllenhaal is fantastic in this movie. Oh, my God. <laughs> I feel bad because the only other Jake Gyllenhaal movie I've seen is Source Code. And that movie is not good. So I kind of like had like a neutral down leaning opinion of Jake Gyllenhaal when I saw this movie the first time, but then I walked away from this movie the first time. And again, this time just like, man, Jake Gyllenhaal is a really good actor because him and like Quentin and Peter have such good chemistry together. And Quentin always knows what to say to Peter. And I think that's just what makes the heartbreak and the betrayal so like so hurtful that's what makes it hurt is 
it makes us question every single thing that he said to Parker, uh, Peter Parker. And just like, was any of it real? And like, I think that it was. I think that, you know, uh, he had some line to the effect of like, part of me wants you to run away from all this and just go be a kid. I genuinely think that Quentin felt that way about Peter. Like you got sucked into the Tony lifestyle and you don't deserve that. But just the brutality that Quentin had in not just turning on Peter, but how he treated his staff and what he did to everyone is just like, like I said, just pure brutality. I think that he was just a fantastic antagonist for this movie. And not even not to mention, okay. I'm going to get I'm going to give a flat statement right now. The illusion scene in Berlin where Mysterio first makes those like that like 360 illusion for Peter best scene in the entire MCU. Best scene in the entire MCU. It is the coolest choreography, it is the coolest set, it is the coolest literally everything in the entire MCU. I really think just when it comes down to it, I <laughs> I like Spider-Man a lot. I like Spider-Man a lot. And a good Spider-Man movie just really hits me personally. And this movie hit me really personally. Just a kid trying to balance doing the right thing and also being himself and also trying to like keep his friends safe but also hang out with his friends like that's just obviously not that specific scenario is relatable but just the struggle of balance is relatable the struggle of personal balance and this movie shows that in almost every way and it helps that this movie had really cool action sequences had really cool visuals had probably my favorite web my favorite web swinging that I've seen in any Spider-Man movie. There's that scene in Venice where he like goes through a building window, wraps himself around, goes through another one and attaches it. So that way the building doesn't crumble. Big fan of that. The way he was swinging from drone to drone in London. Big fan of that. So this movie just did so much well and is such a strong I don't know if this movie, I don't know if this movie's part of phase three or phase four, if I'm being completely honest. Regardless, it is a fa- it is a fantastic end or beginning to whichever phase it's a part of. I think the post credit scenes have asked so many questions and it's been so long since they've been asked. And the fact that we're not going to get any answers until December. I'm impatient and I want them now. This movie is good. This movie's definitely top five. Do this movie is top three MCU. This movie is top three MCU. I'm giving this an eight and a half. This movie rules. So overall ranking phase three, there was a lot of good stuff. There was also a lot of filler, but I think when people think 
of the MCU. I think they think of phase three. This is the most quintessential everything. You know, Guardians 2, Infinity War, Captain Marvel, Ant-Man 2, uh, Spider-Man Far From Home. Like, all these movies are absolute bangers. And this movie, this this phase didn't have any, like, bad movies in it. I think, was Homecoming the lowest rated I gave phase three? It might have been. But, like, this this phase rules. So, I think... As a phase, I think I have to give this phase a flat eight. It's just fantastic. Maybe it's just because I'm riding the high of Spider-Man Far From Home and I'm feeling generous with my rating, but there's a lot of movies in phase three. And so there's a lot of kind of margin of error there, but there's also a lot of success here. So I'm, I think I have to give phase three a flat eight. Um, thank you. If you join me for this entire MCU rewatch, if you listen to all four episodes, um, thank you. I, I genuinely appreciate it. This has been a fun personal trip that, uh, I've made into content. Uh, <laughs> I, I, I've been wanting to do an MCU rewatch for a very long time and figuring out how to do these bonus bonus episodes was a perfect way to do it. Um, if you like these bonus style episodes, I have really good news for you because once a month at the end of every month, uh, Bug and I are doing, we're launching a spinoff podcast of Permanent Good. It is going to be in the same feed as Permanent Good. It will have hopefully different artwork, a different theme song, but it's going to be on the same feed. Uh, this podcast is called Small and Tall. And it's going to be a lot like this. It's going to be a mix between this and the Fast and Furious franchise episodes we did where Bug and I are just going to like set out and we're just going to do we're going to curate a list of movies that we want to watch and review together. The first episode that we're doing is for Twilight because all the Twilight movies are now on Netflix. So we're going to be taking those on. And so, yeah, like I said, it's the last Friday of every month. This one, I think, is June 30th or July 30th, rather. Um, But like I said, thank you very much for listening. This has been an absolute joy. It's also like boosted my podcasting abilities, I think. If you listen to the first bonus episode and this one, the way I talk has changed. (laughs) Like I fundamentally it has changed. But regardless. Thank you so much. Have fun, be safe, and make good choices. I'll see you later.